Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome back for another round of Ground Under Repair. It's a promise many of us have made to ourselves over the years. If we ever get good enough, we'll try and qualify for the U.S. Open. But what's that like, and what does it even take to arrive at the local qualifying rounds? My guest this week, the USGA's Bill McCarthy, knows all about that, having been involved with the USGA's various championships for over 20 years. Open qualifying begins this week, so in a way, the second major of the year begins this coming Tuesday. You're listening to Ground Under Repair on the Podcast Lab Network. Hello and welcome to Ground Under Repair, where golf is for everyone. My guest this week is Bill McCarthy of the USGA, here to talk about U.S. Open qualifying and the USGA's array of championships. Bill, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me on. You serve as the championship director for the U.S. Amateur Four Ball Championships as well as the U.S. Amateur. Correct. Uh, I've been on staff with the USGA for 21 years now. In the last uh, 10 to 12 years, I've been in rules and competitions and served as the uh, staff in charge of the amateur public links for 12 years and uh, uh, the mid-am for the last uh, seven or eight years. And then uh, when we started, recently started our new four-ball championship, I took that one on. And, yeah, the four-ball championship, I, I was just mentioning it before, before we started that it really jumped out at me in the research for this. It's a, it's a newer event started in 2014, but it certainly has my full attention now. Oh, it, it's remarkable. It, uh, um, you know, talking about a little bit of, about, about the history of the four ball, um, you know, I can remember 15 years ago or more uh, being in competitions meetings with Mike Davis uh, who was either running the Mid-Am and the U.S. Open at the time or stepping up into the senior director rules and competitions role. Uh, and way back then, he would talk about, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we ran a, uh, a foursomes championship or a four-ball championship? Um, and to watch those uh, conversations develop and then the championships come to fruition was, was really exciting. There's something special about an event that involves teams of two because we're so used to golf and an individual, the player against the course and also the field format. So it's very, it's fascinating to see an event that involves teams of two like that. We're getting a little bit of a taste of it on television this weekend with the Zurich classic, but the U S amateur four ball really stands out largely because of the word amateur. It's, it's something that, a wider array of people can qualify for and it's people who presumably these are people who have known each other for years and have played together for a long time. Many of us have golfing buddies out there. I'm sure we can all appreciate that. 
Well, you're right, and I think you know one of the main reasons we want to introduce wanted to introduce these two new championships, the men's and the women's four balls, is that you know four ball, whether we know it or not, is is generally what we play uh, when we go out on our at our clubs on the weekends or join up with our buddies during you know during the week at night in our in our leagues. We tend to play four ball. You know, in in casual play, we may call it best ball, um, but it's uh, two against two. Uh, or just taking the better ball of uh, of the two players on each hole in a stroke play competition. So it really reflects how we play golf for the most part in the United States. And and you're right, there's just a totally different vibe about this championship. Um, you know, when we had the first one at the Olympic Club uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, as the players came on site, there was a whole different energy. Uh, and it was because it was just wasn't them against the golf course and them posting a score. Uh, there was a whole new energy regarding their relationship with their partner, uh, with other players that they knew who called on other folks to be their partners. Uh, and that just added a whole different look and feel from a social aspect. And then on top of it, it just ties into a different you know, the format itself lends itself to different play. A uh, little bit of thinking around what, are, how are you going to, you know, play the golf course? If you hit a bad shot, how am I going to play? So there's a real interaction in terms of the format and how the, the partners or the sides uh, make their way around the golf course. It's funny, too. I looked at the previous champions, and you can see the range of ages right away that the original champions are guys in their 40s for the U.S. Amateur Four Ball. And then the reigning champions are 20 and 21, or were when they won the championship. So that's that's a pretty wide array right there and just the short history of this championship of age ranges. Oh, and I, and I, and I think that speaks to the quality of the championship itself and how, um, how enthusiastic the players are about it. Um, you know, at the championship proper, in the last couple of years, we've had – you know, players 15 and 16 years old and players up in their early 60s. Um, we've had brothers. We've had uh, dads and sons. We've had best friends. We've had elite players just get together because they weren't real good friends, but they had a good shot at, at playing well in the championship. So the variety of players uh, is fantastic. Um, you know, there are so many good stories about uh, how players got together uh, to play, uh, and do well. You know, you talked about the year one where Nathan Smith and, and Todd White, uh, two Walker Cup players, and uh, Nathan being a four-time Mid-Am champion, uh, you know, uh, just played incredibly well to take home the first championship. And then last year, our two players out of SMU, uh, college players. Um, so we're seeing a real diverse demographic in this championship for sure. Over 2,000 teams have entered in, or there have been 2,000 entries over in each of the previous championships when you include the qualifying. So in that respect, the event seems to have taken off pretty much instantly. It it did, um, and we were not surprised. Um, You know, as soon as we opened up entries, they started flooding in. And uh, right after the first year, uh, in terms of entries, uh, the four ball popped right to the front in terms of our uh, interest for our championships. You know, we've got our open that that in, that is just our most popular, clearly, and then the U.S. Amateur, uh, and then right behind them now is the mid am and the four ball with around 45 to 5,000 individual entries. Uh, so I think I think that speaks very well to the success of the championship. 
And the host course this year will be Pinehurst Number 2, where the USGA has formed a pretty special connection over the years. Uh, you bet. You know, and uh, I've had the privilege of working with the folks uh, at Pinehurst for the last two, two and a half years, geared up for this championship, which is just in a couple of weeks. Um, and our relationship with Pinehurst has been amazing. Uh, you know, the staff there, Ben Bridgers, the director of golf and gen general manager, and, and Brian Fahey, their uh, operations tournament director, along with Tom Pashley, their the president of Pinehurst Resort and Country Club, have just been fantastic to work with. Um, their, their agronomic team, led by Bob, Bob Farron, has worked many U.S. Opens. Um, you know, and, and I think, again, it speaks to the four-ball championship itself. We, we really didn't have to work hard to get this initial lineup of championship sites for the four-ball. You know, we started with Olympic, and that, uh, from what I understand, it really took just one light conversation in terms of would you be interested in hosting the championship. And then last year we were at Wingfoot. Uh, the site of multiple U.S. Opens, U.S. Amateurs, Women's Opens. And uh, this year, you know, incredibly lucky to get to Pinehurst, followed by uh, Jupiter Hills next year, then going out to Chambers Bay, another U.S. Open site. Uh, and then uh, last lined up on our calendar so far is uh, Philly Cricket Club in uh, 2020, which is going uh, uh, to be a fantastic site also. Yeah, that last one will be close to home for the USGA being based out of New Jersey, the um, organization itself. Yeah, we're, you know, our HQ is in uh, Far Hills, New Jersey, uh, which is kind of central, centrally located in the state. Um, but we've got a number of field offices, agronomists around the country. Our U.S. Open team works out of Pinehurst. Um, and uh, we do try to spread our championships around, but whenever we're in the Northeast, it does make it a little bit operationally uh, a little bit uh, easier. You mentioned several different levels of championships and how, how they're really taking off in terms of entrance. And I think that's something that draws people to all these USGA championships is that it's extremely democratic, that we, we play golf all over the country and if you meet the qualifying standards in terms of handicap, you can apply, or in the four ball, you can get a pairing together and apply and try and qualify and try and pit yourself against the best out there at your level. And I, I think that's something that's drawn people to the USGA from the very beginning. And it's what stands out about their entire array of championships all the way up to and including the U.S. Open itself. Well, that's nice of you to say, and, and, I, and I would agree. I mean, you know, the bottom line is, can you play or not? And, uh, you know, the, the player with the best ability and the, and the best determination uh, is going gonna, is gonna to face that, you know, ultimate test of golf when they uh, come to the USGA championship, you know, whether it's our, our four balls or our open championships or our juniors or our, our men's and women's amateur and then we get into the fall where we see our our two mid-ams and our two senior ams um we like to think that that those individual championships for the uh individual demographics that play uh that they are their ultimate tests uh that that when those players ultimately hoist the trophy uh they would have have accomplished a great deal in terms of uh, shot making, in terms of mental, uh, mental and physical resolve, in terms of understanding the architecture uh, of the golf course and course management, that uh, that, that championship is going to test their overall ability 
and, and, and prove that they are worthy of raising that trophy. And to that end, it, it can be a grueling way forward because qualifying rounds for the U.S. Open Championship begin next week. In fact, the first one's on Tuesday. Players at 114 sites all over the country will compete for sectional qualifying spots. From there, they the lucky few will join. Might be able to join the field at Aaron Hills. And I suppose it would be safe for me to say that the people who play next week are the truly ambitious. Oh, you bet. You know, we, we uh, entries this year closed just the other day, just last Wednesday, uh, and we accepted 9,485 entries into the U.S. Open this year. You know, as you said, there's 114 local qualifying sites around the country, uh, which those players, any number of those players try to get through. Uh, then we ultimately have 12 sectional qualifying rounds, um, two international, one in Ono City, Japan, and one in Surrey, England. They're on May 22nd and 29th, respectively. And then on June 5th, we have 10 uh, U.S. sectional qualifying rounds all around the country, which will include those got, that got through local qualifying, plus 455 locally exempt uh, players uh, competing for the last spots to get into the championship proper. And I'll tell you, when you talk about the, the, the democracy of the op- of the championships, the Open's the best one. There's no question. Um, and I'll give you a great example. As, uh, as Every year I have the opportunity to work the uh, U.S. Open section in Columbus, and that's the day after Muirfield. Uh, so that field of 132 players that play in the uh, sectional on that Monday uh, are ones more likely that either got through local or they were exempt through local and had played in Muirfield, uh, or they got through local and then, and chose to come to Columbus to play in the sectional. Uh, and during the course of that day, you see juniors, you see high school players, collegiate players, uh, mid-amateurs competing against tour players for these final spots. And I, and I think my favorite part of the day is that night uh, that's Monday night, uh, the playoff, because so many times I've conducted the playoff at this qualifier, and you'll have a, an assistant pro uh, from somewhere in Ohio uh, teeing it up against a former major championship winner to try to get into the Open. It, it's pretty cool. It's – I can't help but agree with you. It really does stand out. It It jumps out across the even across the professional schedule this is the tournament i personally always that's the one i always look forward to the most because it's because anyone that's good enough can qualify and make it and it's and it's often at a public course a lot of the regional sites are public courses as well these are places that anyone can walk up and play and test themselves and certainly the u.s open is the test of golf but of course a lot of people aspire to one day get good enough that they can try and qualify i think when we talk about that we always overlook how rigorous this has to be by nature am i correct to say these are not events for people who are just happy to be there uh, you're right. Um, you know, again, when we, we've got the philosophy of, uh, the USGA champion championships are going to be the ultimate tests in golf. 
So when someone comes to qualifies for a USGA championship, number one, qualifying is going to be a good solid test. Um, whether it's a, an 18 hole local qualifier or a 36 hole uh, sectional qualifier, uh, or when you talk about some of our amateur championships, 36 hole uh, stroke play qualifying to get in the match play. Um, you know, you are going to be tested physically, you're going to be tested mentally, uh, you're going to be tested from a course preparation and the course management standpoint, um, driving the ball long and straight, uh, short iron accuracy. Uh, mid-irons, long irons, hybrids, uh, rough and recoverability, uh, you know, putting on firm, fast putting greens. Every aspect of your game is going to be tested. Um, and part of that overall test is um, how you react to bad breaks. How do you react to poor shots? Uh, how do you react, you react to that, that one, you know, uh, that one great shot that, that bounds off the flagstick into a bunker? Um, all of that adds up in terms of uh, – uh, the, the demanding test that we provide. And that, that implies there is a big difference between someone who just has a handicap low enough that they could apply and someone who is truly competitive, who, who is willing to go through it and willing to put themselves to the test. Well, I would agree. You know, um, you know, you don't, you just don't play casually. Uh, and qualify for a USGA championship. You've, you've got to focus. Uh, you've got to try to improve your game uh, and, and demonstrate a well-rounded game. Uh, not to say that, you know, folks can't work on the game a bit and get a bit of shot. You know, that speaks again to the democracy of it. Uh, if, if they're eligible, boy, we welcome you to file an entry. Absolutely. Uh, but when it gets right down to it, you better be prepared to play because, uh, whether you're uh, qualifying for the, you know, the U.S. Women's Mid-Am or the U.S. Women's Open, uh, it's competition, and they're there to play. I'm glad you brought it back to encouraging people to apply. Certainly, you're not discouraging anyone, telling anyone to stay home. In fact, there, there are people who are good enough to put in for one of these championships that are competitive and know competitive golf and they've just never thought of putting their hat into the ring, what would you say to the worthy golfer who fits the profile of somebody who could fit in at, at qualifying for one of these events who's never tried it? Uh, I would encourage them to try, without a doubt. Uh, the experience, uh, whether you end up qualifying or advancing to sectional qualifying, the experience in, in itself is just different. You know, I was talking the other day to uh, some, some of my colleagues, and uh, one of my colleagues from the communications department was talking to a former uh, NHL goalie um, who always played golf, but once he retired, you know, he got into golf competitively. And he said he was never more nervous than when he stepped on the first tee for U.S. Open local qualifying than ever in the Stanley Cup Finals that he had played goalie. I mean, and that's pretty remarkable. Uh, it's just a different deal. So I would, I would say, yeah, I mean, if you've got players who are eligible, you're out there, you're competing uh, at a local level, at your club level, file, a, file an entry for a USGA championship. Get out there and see what you're made of. Um, go through the experience. It's, it's a lot of fun, and it's a great challenge. I'm glad you mentioned the goalie attempting to qualify because we do hear – a fair amount. We see occasionally on television when they do the uh, the pro am kind of tournaments. We see these 
celebrity golfers or former athletes in other sports that have pretty good games, at least we see from what we've heard and what we've seen. So it's interesting to see someone like that try their medal on the, on the golf course with everybody else. That's fascinating as well. Uh, You bet. And we see a lot of that, you know, Um, even, you know, in our mid-am, we've had a number of uh, former major league players, uh, major league baseball players, uh, try to qualify and qualify for the championship. I think uh, even when, when professional athletes retire, they still have that that need for competition. You know, they've still got that drive. Uh, and I think golf really provides them a great opportunity. Of course, the U.S. Open is famous for tweaking the course that hosts the championship to make it a particularly tough test. Does that also extend to the qualifying sites? For example, I live in Massachusetts. If I were to go play Pine Hills after they have the regional or the uh, local qualifier there, should I bring extra golf balls? (laughs) Well, it speaks to to a couple of things there. I mean, um, you know, Mike Davis and Jeff Hall do an incredible job in terms of setting up the, uh, the course for the U.S. Open. But, you know, I, I hope everybody understands that, you know, this is not a battle of the players versus the USGA. Uh, you know, the championship sites that we go to, whether it's for, you know, the four ball, the mid-am, or the U.S. Open, they're great sites within themselves. And those sites lend themselves to great setups. You know, we've talked about the idea of course setup over the number of years, last number of years, and it's become very popular as a conversation. You know, but these great golf courses don't need a lot of work from our end, you know. Uh, depending upon the demographic, like the U.S. Open, sure, you know, maybe we need a little bit more length, maybe a little bit more speed and firmness in the putting greens. Uh, but inherently, these great golf courses present great tests. And the whole concept of uh, quality course setup is to allow players to shine and demonstrate their ability. Uh, but at the same time, uh, when they do miss a drive or miss an approach shot, you know, those courses present themselves with difficulty to recover. Uh, and, and, you know, we like to say, again, you know, golf's ultimate tests are the USGA championships. That's, I had Bruce Charlton, who was part of the design team for Chambers Bay, on a few weeks ago talking about the design of golf courses in general. And certainly on his end, he couldn't have been happier with how that course was presented for the 2015 U.S. Open. So the USGA has always done a very good job presenting the course. And I think that's something, that's another thing that draws people to that particular tournament and to USGA events. As golfers, we are always trained to believe it's us versus the course. Well, when it's that tough a test, when it comes to those championships, sometimes when you're a spectator, you're kind of rooting for the course. You're kind of rooting for everyone else to go through the tough shots that we all go through on our weekly rounds. So I, I think that's part of the allure of the USGA championships in general is how the, it, it's a great display of the courses themselves as well. I, w- I would agree. And, and uh, we're very lucky in that aspect for, uh, for all of our championships. Um, we're very fortunate that some great clubs around the country show interest uh, to host. And, and I think it's important for, 
for your listeners to understand how actually our, our championship selection process works uh, from, you know, the U.S. Open to the, to the Girls Junior, which is in, held every July. Um, we work on an invitation basis. Uh, clubs actually send formal invitations to us to host championships. Uh, and, our amateur, and our future amateur sites committee and our, and our championship committee review these invitations and we meet with the clubs and evaluate the, uh, the, the club and, and the facilities and the resources uh, and try to come to a, uh, a meeting in the minds, so to speak, in terms of what would be a good fit uh, for that host site. Uh, so it's a great relationship, uh, you know, hand in hand with the host clubs uh, to put on a great show. We'll be back with Bill McCarthy of the USGA after a short break. This is Ground Under Repair on the Podcast Lab Network. Hey everybody, Tim Williams here to tell you about Podcast Lab. We're a group of writers, most of us sports writers like myself, who are taking our material to the world of podcasting. There's the Sunshine Boys podcast, where Jim Williams hosts longtime Tampa sports writers Joe Henderson and Ira Kaufman as they take you through the week in sports. Joe also joins Tom Jackson and moderator Jim Williams for the Politically Incorrect podcast, giving you a taste of the political pulse of Florida. Puck University is our college hockey podcast, giving you a glimpse into the world of college hockey. Conference Call with Jim Williams breaks down the big events of the college sports calendar from the people who make it happen. Speaking of inside looks, get an inside look on golf, golf courses, and all things related to fairways and greens on Ground Under Repair. There's also my sports podcast, The Pickup Game with Tim Williams, giving you weekly takes on sports from a Bucks fan who loves Boston. All this with more to come on the Podcast Lab Network, writers experimenting in podcasting. Switching gears just a little bit, the USGA is also, of course, among the world's foremost authorities on the rules of golf, as we, the members, know every year because we get the little book with the, with the rules written out for us, so we have the nice handy guide every year. As this podcast is about golf as most of us play it, and the name itself comes from the rules of the game, I can't help but ask to make your case for the average golfer out there why we should go put in the work in and get a real handicap. Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you brought it up. You know, the, the, the USGA handicap system uh, has been around for in, in in some sort of fashion since the uh, mid 1920s. Um, you know, obviously it's evolved over the years, and we're currently in the uh, in the process of working with other go- governing bodies around the world to put together a a world handicap system based on the USGA slope system. Um, but the handicap system is the great equalizer in the game. Um, you know, when you talk about any other sport, uh, whether it be, you know, football, basketball, whatever it might be, you know, we're never going to step on to the court and compete, um, you know, with Larry Bird in his prime or, or, you know, Carmelo Anthony at the Knicks, you know, they're just going to clean our clocks, you know, but we can step onto the golf course and we can compete against Dustin Johnson because we can either go to a relative set of teeing grounds. Uh, or we can play from the same set of tees and we adjust our handicap for the course uh, to that specific course and receive a certain amount of shots 
so that we can compete against that level of player. Uh, and I think that's the great reason to go out and get a handicap because when you're out there playing just your, you know, if you're playing every Saturday morning with just your buddies and you know how you play and you're going to have some fun, you know, that's one thing. But if you're going to be uh, an active golfer playing different courses, playing with different people, I fully, fully support, you know, establishing a handicap index. And it's a lot easier than folks think. You know, uh, you don't have to belong to a private club. Uh, you can just go down to your local public facility, guaranteed they've got a group there that you can join very easily uh, and establish your handicap index. Um, it's a great backbone of the game. I think for most people, the only real difference would be that you're not allowed to go by any of those unwritten rules that we've always put on the game at the at the duffer's level, as it were, the, the kind of mulligan kind of rules. Those go by the wayside when you're doing anything official. And that's, that's another reason I think people should try it is because, you know, you go out with friends, you go have a fun round of golf, but it's hard to tell how good you really are until you play with all of the rules intact and you don't give yourself any leeway and you just see how well you do against the course and you do it enough times that you get a handicap and you find out, all right, this is where I really am as a golfer it's a sport of humility in a lot of ways and it's a sport of measuring yourself against both the course and yourself and you can't really do that without a benchmark you're exactly right and 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 i don't think we want to scare some folks away from from uh, establishing a handicap you know the handicap system is very flexible uh, in terms of scores that can be posted you know as, as long as the round was played you know according to the principles of the rules uh, that, that's a valid score. You play at least 13 holes. You can post a score. We've got, you know, we've got a methodology for, for uh, posting scores for those remaining holes. You know, if you happen to, to pick up on a hole, boy, we've got something for that. Uh, there's something called equitable stroke control, which, which doesn't allow that freakishly high score on an individual hole to negatively impact your handicap. So, you know, it's a whole process that's entailed with the, the handicap system uh, that encourages people to, to utilize it and play the game. I think that's another good place to explore a little bit as well, that we look at the official rules of golf sometimes as intimidating because it always seems like it's out there almost to make the game harder, but that's not necessarily true. People are always working on these and they've come up with ways to make it more equitable for someone who's playing, who's not of the level of, of the low handicapper. Correct. You know, and the rules of golf over time have always evolved. And, um, and I think our recent efforts, uh, our modernization efforts, uh, to make the make the rules a little bit more understandable, a little bit more attractive to people, uh, have been well received. You know, beginning earlier this week, earlier this year, excuse me, we introduced um, some draft rules that we're uh, considering implementing in the beginning of 2019, um, and we put all those draft rules out there for people to to review and comment and and give us their thoughts. Uh, in terms of the application of the rules, in terms of the understanding of the rules. Uh, it's a very open and transpa transparent process, and we're getting some fantastic feedback, not just from uh, state and regional golf associations and national governing bodies around the, the country and the world, but, but from individual golfers in terms of 
the proposed rules changes for 2019. Bill McCarthy of the USGA, thank you so much for coming on the show this week and discussing some of the parts of USGA championships that we just don't see or we don't think that much about and the rules themselves as well. Thank you so much. You bet, Tim. Thanks so much for having me on and uh, wishing uh, all your listeners all the best. Hit them straight. That's our show for this week. Thanks again to Bill McCarthy of the USGA for taking the time to talk with me. You can check out all the different USGA championships and the rules of golf at USGA.org. I'm your host, Tim Williams. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks, as always, to Blog Talk Radio for hosting. Until next week, this has been Ground Under Repair. Fairways and greens, everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.